Hello everyone, welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at events in pharmacy over the past week or so. My name is Richard Thomas, I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me on the pod this week are Rob Daracott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. So we're broadcasting from all over this week. At today, which is Thursday, Rob and I are in wet and windy Hampshire. Uh, not together. Uh, that, that would be a story. Um, Arthur's in Stepney and Neil is holding the fort in our central London office. So um, I've had a busy week this week. We've been putting together uh, the October edition of Pharmacy Magazine and it's our 300th edition and our 25th anniversary issue. So uh, we've got a few treats and surprises in store for our loyal readers, all of which means I haven't really been all over the news this week. So I'm looking forward to my colleagues uh, who are going to tell me, bring me up to speed with what's been going on. So let's kick off straight away with Good Week, Bad Week. Uh, Neil, who's had a good week for you? Well, I've got a, I've got a, a good week, but also just a very brief hero of the week, um, if, I, if I may. Um, and my, just briefly, my hero of the week is the Labour Deputy Leader, Angela Rayner. Um, having called for the resignation of the Health Secretary, uh, long overdue, uh, this time over the 16,000 COVID-19 cases that went unreported on track and trace um, between September and October, that, that seven-day period. He should have resigned long, months ago. I won't mention his name because I think I'm barred from mentioning his name. But um, um, fantastic, uh, I think we'll all agree with Miss Rayner, although she was undermined just hours later by her leader, Keir Starmer, who said, just let him get on with the job. Uh, let's not let him get on with the job. I think probably the message should have come out. Um, he should hang his head in shame, Miss Rayner said. So uh, that's she's my hero of the week, um, and, and well done to her. My good week um, goes to David Broom, uh, who's the Yorkshire Regional Representative on the PSNC, and he told us um, uh, this week, um, well, he gave us a bit more information on, on the problem of quotas and pharmacists' ability to get medicines in. Um, and I think as this, as this study by the PSNC moves forward i think we're going to see more and more and more coming out you know i think we're digging further into this um and i think david broom um kind of came out with some very interesting uh, uh snippets in there you know one of those uh, one of the things that came out that perhaps hasn't come out so much in recent weeks and months is that is that some wholesalers are making life pretty difficult for pharmacies in sourcing drugs and and some are denying pharmacies that are not first-line customers medicines and i i don't know what you guys think i, I find that Pretty, pretty shocking, really, given the fact that pharmacies, as we know, have had a, a really torrid time getting medicines in anyway. And that's the last thing they need. Uh, the PSNC received over 320 reports, it's up to 320 now, related to over 60 drugs. Um, it's, it's great that they're coming out with all this information and, and at shining a light on this. The only, the only thing I, I would say about the whole thing uh, is, is what are they going to do with this information? Now, I, I did put this question to Simon Jukes when they first launched this tool, this reporting tool. And perhaps understandably, he said at the time, you know, we, I can't really give you an answer on that because we, we haven't launched it yet. We just have to see what comes out from this and, and let's see as we go along. But as we move along, it would be nice to know, you know, what they're going to do with this information. You know, are they going to approach, uh, go to the Department of Health for this information? Are they going to go to the government and try and uh, get some kind of legis legislative mechanism in place to sort of, con con you know, uh, you know bring, bring wholesalers into line a bit more? We don't know. Uh, so it would be nice to sort of know where they're going with this. Um, 
confronting wholesalers. I think personally, my, my personal view would be to name and shame wholesalers. Let's name and shame them. Let's get, you know, you know, if we have reports coming in of a, of a particular wholesaler that's making life difficult for many for many pharmacists, why not name and shame them? Uh, we have um, anecdotal evidence um, and, and and pretty strong evidence from people the people that matter. These are the pharmacists that have this evidence. Let's name and shame. So it'd be nice to see where this is going to go. What this, what the PSNC are going to do with this information? Um, perhaps no, isn't much point in going to the HDA with this information, given the fact that they seem to, to have passed the buck. Uh, with this on this issue on many occasions, you know, blaming exporting pharmacists and, and, and the smaller wholesalers. Uh, but nevertheless, let's it'd be nice to know what, what the PSNC are going to do. So for my my good week, could have been a better week, I suppose, but a good week, David Rue, the PSNC. Yeah, good choice, Neil. But quotas, the perennial problem, isn't it? They, they cause so many difficulties for, for, for contractors on the ground. Um, I guess PSNC is... is trying to get a better handle on the scale of the problem. But we all know it goes on. And you're right, Neil, the, the question is, what happens next? What do we do with this information? But it, it, it's, a, it's a problem that has dogged pharmacy for, for too long now. Um, Arthur, who's had a good week for you? Okay, uh, could be a bit controversial given the company I'm in, but mine is a tentatively a good week for NHS England who have announced 10 million in local funding for these long COVID specialist centers. Um, there's growing evidence that you know a small but significant minority of people who contract coronavirus go on to get you know long-term symptoms. Um, could be you know respiratory symptoms or fatigue for a lot of people, or they find that um, the effects on their sense of taste and smell lingers for months and months. So uh, Simon Stevens yesterday announced uh, funding for these centres where people be assessed by um, uh, by clinicians as well as well as undergoing psychological assessment, and I thought you know this was uh, it's it's a positive development to see that you know that that attention is being paid to this. It's uh, you know it's 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 very you know it's it's very very challenging for these people who are, are it's very uncertain. You know their ability to work could be affected for months to come. So it's it's a positive thing that the NHS is is engaging with this problem. I think. Yeah, I I welcome the news too uh, because I think it it is recognition that there is a problem to start with. I think and you know I think a lot of people are struggling to get who are suffering from this long COVID this syndrome are struggling to get kind of a care and a, an, an attention from from GPs even. So I think this is a, a recognition that this is actually quite a severe problem for those those affected. I have a friend who who has classic long COVID um, symptoms and it, it's really not at all pleasant and she's been suffering you know for about four or five months now so yeah it was a, a I welcome the news welcome the news. Uh, Rob who's had a good week for you? So I I mean just before I, I say who's had a good week I think I mean you're absolutely right I was talking to somebody uh, only the other day who's suffering quite badly with these uh, symptoms and and are really setting themselves for the for the long very much for the long haul and um you know i i i think we will continue to learn more about this disease as we go on and when you see the um the idiot over the water who clearly is suffering from um still suffering from uh, from the effects of the illness in spite of the uh, you know top class care he's had i think we're we're going to be finding out about this condition for years and years and years to come uh, so on slightly better news, uh, my good week this week is 
the guys who put together the Lancashire Vaccination Centre. So well done for some amazing innovation to uh, Mike Ball, superintendent pharmacist at Broadway Pharmacy in Preston, and his um, co-developer, uh, Gavin Birchall, managing director of the Dose Group, who've put together this um, amazing site at the Preston Grasshoppers Rugby Ground. Uh, four consultation rooms, really big consultation rooms, uh, and a capacity of 750 flu jabs per day. Uh, 14-day run, they're into their second week. Uh, they were incredibly busy for the first week. And um, it just shows what uh, a little bit of thought and uh, interest um, and innovation can do. And the thing I particularly like about it is this is a kind of end-to-end -end approach. So full-on local marketing, uh, press, local press, uh, radio. And, of course, they've done this all using the, um, the off-site dispensation in the service spec this year. Uh, so fair play, well done to uh, to Mike and to Gavin for this uh, for this great thing. And I, I think you know there's a model there. They they they've set set it up in a way that they could reproduce it again quite quickly if they if we if we go to the fifty to sixty four group. And obviously they've got an eye on on what might happen down the line with uh, with mass vaccinations. So it's nice to report on something that's genuinely a little bit different. Uh, uses the um, uses the ingenuity of pharmacists and the flexibility of um, of something that's been allowed for the first time this year to create something genuinely uh, inspiring and novel. Yeah, I read the story last night, Rob. It, it was your story put together. It really good, good news story and an excellent example of, of, of innovation and, you know, advanced care, really, that was put together, you know, reasonably quickly. Very, very impressive and you know, good luck to that to that service uh, and the boys up there as they as they roll it forward over the coming weeks. Brilliant, brilliant nomination. That um, all right. Good week. Who's my good week? Well, uh, it's been uh, potentially uh, a good week for patients on Priadel. Now, listeners will be uh, very familiar with this rather sorry saga. Um, manufacturer Essential Pharma announced it was withdrawn, the widely prescribed bipolar drug, because it was um, uneconomic to make. And this sparked a furious backlash from, um, well, everyone really, from Simon Stevens down, because it would have meant thousands of patients having to switch to alternative, more expensive lithium treatments, such as Camcolit, uh, which is also made by Essential, clinically switching problematic too of course anyway this week essential agreed to pause the withdrawal of priadel while the competition and markets authority investigates the move for suspected anti-competitive practices now we followed this story uh, right from the start and actually received a legal letter from essential for our troubles as did several other medical titles it seems to be the way the company has chosen to to handle queries from the press um not a good look. We sent back pretty sharpish a legal letter of our own in response. We don't appreciate being bullied. Anyway, that's by the by. The more positive news is that it looks like Essential and the DH have, have reopened a dialogue uh, about pricing. And while we wait for the CMA to rule, let's hope they can arrive at a long-term solution that, that secures the supply of this vital drug. So uh, a good week for patients on Priadel. 
Yeah, as a, as a sort of extension to that, though, I think yeah, it is good news. Absolutely, absolutely right. But I think you know, I think it's a reminder to, to us all really that you know the Department of Health really does need to get on top of this problem um, and close that loophole. You know, the loophole that does allow companies to, you know, appallingly increase the price of their drugs sometimes by a thousand uh, percent, as we've seen in the past. Um, so I think it, it, they do need to get on top of the problem. They clearly haven't quite done that yet, and there is a, a scope there for companies to still, you know, get round that that law. Um, and I think when the the um, when the medical cost services uh, health service medical supplies cost act came into force three years ago, I thought we'd all thought that it was completely closed. Clearly, it's not quite the case. Right, it's bad week time. Uh, I'll kick off here. Spot for choice, really, um, I think, this week. I could have gone for the shortages of flu jabs or um, Public Health England deciding that this was the week to send out its publicity material encouraging people to get a job um, when there aren't that many available. In fact, I think today pharmacies are going to receive information leaflets from Public Health England explaining that uh, supplies are low and asking the patient to uh, the public to be patient. Um, more supplies will will be on their way from the central stockpile. So, but on Friday, pharmacies are going to get the the flu campaign materials for for this winter. So uh, it's crazy. But I'm going to go instead for a bad week for Roland's Pharmacy, with its plans to uh, reduce working hours, uh, opening hours for most branches, and to change employment contracts. Uh, no, this is obviously going to affect many Roland's employees and, and you know you really hope that things work out for them but it's a, a commercial and operational decision I guess that's been taken because of the very difficult financial situation that, that pharmacy finds itself in very tough um, it could be that redundancies are on the cards let's hope not uh, but my issue with this more well, from a journalist point of view really was the way that Phoenix announced the news to the press with a, a very bland vague, some might say willfully incomplete release about, and I quote, fit for the future strategy for sustainable growth at the same time as Roland staff were getting the bad news in person. It seemed to be like a pretty clumsy attempt at spin or or media management. Uh, We don't need that. So uh, bad week all around for Roland's and I, I hope employees aren't too seriously affected. Rob, uh, let's go to you. Who's your bad week? Uh, I haven't got a bad week for person, but I've got a kind of bad week for a thing, I guess. Um, and my bad week is the perennial conscience clause. It's not actually that any longer. It's the, the statement in Standard 1 about pharmacy professionals providing person-centred care. Um so I think we're going to talk about this a bit, but we've had another instance of it hitting the hitting the um, the front pages or certainly the um, the the tabloids of a patient seeking emergency contraception who uh, couldn't get it at the time. And I, I I mean, there's clearly a gap here between what standard one requires people to to do and what they need to think about, while absolutely recognising. Uh, individual values and beliefs. Um, now, I I always thought the position we got to was that um, that should be interpreted as the pharmacist um, or the other member of the team, I guess, uh, taking responsibility for making sure that the patient can access the healthcare that they are seeking, rather than um, putting it back, putting the onus back on the um, on the patient themselves to go 
somewhere else and seek their own solutions. So, I mean, I think there's a gap here in how this is being used and whether that's a failing in understanding or a lack of opportunity to discuss these kind of really challenging ethical issues in a format which enables people to think about their responsibilities to patients first. I don't know, you know, I think just telling somebody to go and get the product off the internet um, or online isn't really uh, doing what it says here, which is take responsibility for ensuring person-centered care is not compromised. Um, so, you know, I think there's still a gap here in how this thing is interpreted and, and used in practice. And unfortunately, it happens every year or every year we get one of these at least. Um, uh, very unfortunate and, you know, gives gives those who want to knock the profession uh, another opportunity to do so. Yeah, it is a, like you say, Rob, it's a, it's a difficult area, obviously, <clears throat> um, and it is complex and contentious. I, I, you know, my reading of it, and, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, because you're taking responsibility, your ref referral to another service provider, um, you know, might not be the right option, you know, to ensure that that, what was that phrase, patient-centred care isn't, complicated and it is more complex isn't it because the i think the previous i think i'm right when i said the previous version of the code of ethics was was quite black and white if you said you were unable to provide a service because of your religious beliefs then you should refer patients to other providers that was quite easy to understand and easy to, to, to comply with i guess but this new guidance it, it does require um you know more thought from the pharmacist and, and a clinical judgment at the end of the day because you know it Am I able to provide that this service? If the answer is no, because of my religious beliefs, then you still have to consider what the patient's needs are and how those needs are going to be met, bearing in mind the you know the urgency of the matter. And um, like you say, Rob, I think there's a bit of a gap developing here, and, and clearly EHC is one of those areas where you know that the matter is urgent. So yeah, when. Not quite getting this right at the moment. We need to give it some thought as a as a profession because these stories keep coming up. And Arthur, I think uh, you're going to you're going to refer to this in your bad week, aren't you? Yeah, indeed. So it's uh, as you mentioned, Robert, it's, it's Lloyd's in the in the spotlight again. Um, they they uh, got national media attention last year when a woman in Brighton was refused um, was refused the HC on the grounds that a locum pharmacist felt it went against their uh, their religious beliefs. And it's happened again in, in South London last week. Uh, it was, it's a locum pharmacist again who sort of, um, they didn't even apparently uh, get, like, give the patient her full kind of, um, a, you know, a, a consultation or tell her what her options were. She was just told she could get online and go elsewhere, but this pharmacist was not prepared to do it, was, was the bottom line. Um, and I think what's notable in both cases is that um, the woman uh, affected was, you know, not like a young woman in her teens or early 20s. They were both, th in these cases that have received national media attention, they're both women, uh, like, I think in their 30s or 40s with children. So that could maybe suggest that it's happening a lot with younger women who feel less prepared to, to speak out. Um, so I think I I definitely think that I mean Lloyd says it's it's taking steps to ensure that all of everyone working in Lloyd's understands its policies and understands the GPHC regulations. But I think it's very important that all the um all the multiples do 
really drive drive this point home because like you know someone presenting at a pharmacy has the right to expect the they'll receive the healthcare that they need that is available in the pharmacy you know pharmacy is a very appropriate place to receive this service and um and yeah so i think it's very important that company policies are very clear i mean it's notable as well in both cases that it's a it was a locum or relief pharmacist um i don't know if there's if there are particular issues there you know locums may not be sort of uh inculcated with the the, the company philosophy or policy so much but it's it's no less important for a locum to understand the position than for than for a full-time employee it's, it's it's a very it's sorry it's a very difficult area isn't it this this, this conflict between you know, religious belief and and how you and how you conduct yourself in your in your professional life isn't it I mean, this is a, a really sticky area but i just wonder if the gphc could be doing more here i don't know i mean i don't know what you guys think in terms of the, you know when it comes to the training and education of pharmacists at a very early stage i'm not saying the gphc can you know wave a magic wand here but is there something do you think the gphc could do more in training well, no, it's, it, it's a good point. I think, you know, like Rob was intimating, that there's, a, that there's certainly a kind of gap here. It's not the GPHC thing. I mean, the GPHC sets the standards. It's, it's up to everyone else to, to kind of work out a way of meeting them. So I don't think it's a GPHC issue per se. However, your point about, you know, um, educating people and Arthur's point about making sure that, you know, the kind of locums, you know, are, are included as part of this. Because I thought it was, it was quite interesting that the commonality between these two Lloyd's Pharmacy uh, instances they were both locums I think that's really important and I think it's something that um, employers uh, have to take um, seriously and think about how they're approaching you know their messaging and education with their locums and their, their full-time employees you know Rob said there's a gap and there is a gap and um, you know I I'm not saying the GPHC would 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 ever do this but you, you wonder whether you know at some point this could um, lead to a fitness to practice uh, inquiry. Um, I mean that you know is a very extreme way of dealing with this, this uh, these instances. But you know, judging by that that standard, that fancy professionals must take responsibility for persons centred care, that it's not compromised because of personal uh, values and beliefs. I think I think that was the phrase. Well, you know, someone's telling someone to go, just go on the internet. That that is very much counter against that standard. So mm, we shall see. But yeah, that, that's that's an interesting point that you just made there, though, Richard, isn't it? You know, if, if it comes a fitness to practice, if it does go down that road, fitness to practice, then you'd be you're really going down a sticky road there, aren't you? Because then the obvious res- response to that would be, well, it's a human. You're you're encroaching on my human rights to practice my my faith and my religion, aren't you? And, and that then you're really getting into into sort of dark and deep waters, aren't you? I'm not sure. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure it should come to that at this point. But what I think it does illustrate, particularly, is the increasing complexity of of pharmacy practice, and that um, if we just set aside this particular instance for now, if we look at um, the whole range of additional services that pharmacies may now provide, uh, you've got in many cases you've got a a kind of training requirement or a some form of accreditation to provide a service. And yet we still recognise that um, given the extended hours in which community pharmacy operates, um, having the people with the right skills in place uh, to provide those services across the all of the hours that pharmacies may be open is an increasingly complex thing. 
And, uh, you know, we've never been particularly good at recording stuff. And increasingly, I think people have to record uh, the fact that they they have or they haven't got the skills available to provide particular services in the pharmacy. And I think that's that's probably a more general thing that needs to be examined so that when pharmacies are open, uh, those who might, might want to use those services or those who might want to direct patients into those services need to know that the services that they want to direct patients in for can be delivered by the people who are in the pharmacy at the time. Um, and that's the whole kind of directory of services model and keeping that up to date. And when you've got staff coming in and out across the across the course of a, a full working day, that's incredibly complicated. Yeah, but but a really good point. Really good point, Rob. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, let, let's see where that one goes. It's a very, very complex issue, but I think there is there's a debate to be had there. And we, we need to be having it now, to be honest. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, Neil, who's had a bad week for you? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sifting through all the uh, possible candidates for bad week, and I, literally the first one I stumbled across was the one I've, I've got with, and it's it's back to the test and, and um, testing debacle, the, the COVID testing debacle, and, and, and quite a surprising one for me, really. It's, it's Rishi Sunak, um, who, quite frankly, let himself down, I think, um, he went on BBC Breakfast uh, a few days ago, a couple of days ago, and actually and said, we are now testing 250,000 people a day. Um, and it wasn't challenged by anybody on BBC Breakfast, um, which, which, is, which, which is the figure he came up with. And I, I just, it just made me almost tear my hair out sitting there listening to it. And, he, and I, I was surprised that it came from him, because I think, as I said, he's been uh, the shining light, if there has been a shining light during this pandemic in, in the cabinet. He's, you know, held himself very well and come out of this with, with, with a great deal of credibility. He let himself down there. Um, and that 250,000 people a day test, test uh, testing figure, that's the number figure for tests processed. It's not the number of figure for the number of people who have actually been tested. Um, and I just thought, you know, I, 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 I felt like screaming out, well, what are you, what are you doing, Rishi? You know, it's, it's just, uh, it's almost, he's towing, towing the party line and just being told to sort of come out with this rubbish. Um, so for me, an obvious one perhaps, but I just thought it just poor Rishi Sunak for me. Bad week for Rishi Sunak. Yeah, why do they keep keep getting those figures? Why do they keep spinning those figures? It, it, it's it's not helpful. Uh, yeah, I'm afraid that's a, that's a good choice, Neil. Uh, bad week for Rishi Sunak. So, any other business? Well, I've got something. Um, it's back to test and trace. I'm sorry. So, uh, but listen, this this is what happened to me uh, yesterday. I had a notification from the NHS COVID. Uh, test and trace up uh flashed up on my phone um possible covid19 exposure well that kind of got my attention and then and then the, the notifications disappeared i couldn't find it anywhere it wasn't on my phone wasn't in the app so you know i was frantically looking around get a little bit worried you know debating whether whether i should tell uh, uh my wife but anyway it turns out that um these so-called alerts they're cropping up all the time and they're they're not caused by the app. They're actually coming from the, the Apple and Google framework that, that's hosting the app. So you've got this ridiculous situation where people are getting possible COVID-19 exposure alerts. And then they, if they're not, it's just not true. And um, apparently uh, a fix a fix is in the works, uh, but it could take weeks to sort out. What a mess. And I guess while I'm at it, I'll just get this off my chest. You know, you Much more seriously, you've got the situation where... 
the pharmacy contractors are having difficulties registering uh, as employers of essential workers. You've got contact, uh, contact tracers not taking into account the pharmacies or healthcare settings with PPE and other measures, and they're telling everyone to self-isolate. It's a... Uh, ah, uh, words fail me. I'll, I'll stop there because I've just made myself cross. Um, all right, any other business? Arthur, have you seen anything that, that uh, uh, made you laugh this week or grabbed your attention? Uh, well, Rishi Sunak's been doing the rounds. He also got a lot of attention, as, as well as Neil, sorry, he also got a lot of attention this week for telling people who've been on furlough, your job's gone and it's not coming back effectively. You better retrain and get used to it. And people thought this was pretty, pretty heartless. I think people working in the arts in particular um, were, pre- were pretty offended. And there's been a lot of uh, social media response to, to Mr. Sunak's comments. Um, one that I thought was particularly uh, effective or dr- drove the point home was, why weren't bankers told to retrade after the financial crisis? <laughs> it sort of, sort of shows where, where the Conservative Party's priorities lie, you might say. Oh, God. Uh, brilliant, but but yeah, depressing. Um, Rob, what about you? Have you seen anything? Yeah, it's Mr. Sunak for me too. So the one I saw was about the retraining and putting together the whole kind of green vibe about getting away from red meat. He's, he's clearly been visiting a farm and so he's, he's in front of a... A, um, a barn full of cows and he's saying why don't you retrain as chickens <laughs> so whoever whoever put that together genius <laughs> I, I really 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 like that oh dear is this is Mr Sunak's halo beginning to slip a bit I wonder um <laughs> anyway uh Neil, have you seen anything yeah. equally uh, ridiculous? Well, not t- ridiculous. I'm just a bit depressed, really, because I, 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 I don't know about you guys. Are you James Bond fans? I'm a big James Bond oh, fan. Love it. I love um, James yeah. Bond. Love I was it. looking forward to the. Is it Daniel Craig's last outing as Bond and No Time to yeah. Die? And it's been, yeah. we're, all, we're all bracing ourselves that this will be a, cheer us up a little bit. Well, kind of. And, um, but now we've got the news that it's been. Uh, it's not coming out. It's been delayed until April next year now. So no, not so much no time to die, but time to run away from COVID. Not very, not, 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 not very Bond-esque, really, is it? But anyway, there we are. I'm, I'm gutted by that. That I would. That was about the one thing I was looking forward to before Christmas. You do wonder what the studios are doing here because they're just going to kill cinema, aren't they? Um, you mean you aren't, you aren't looking forward to the four Avatar sequels? Uh, funnily enough, no, not really looking forward to that at all. I could uh, could give them a pretty wide swerve, to be honest, Rob. Uh, and is it because um, you know it's seen as a bad look to to launch a movie when we should be social distancing? No, I, the, I, I think reason? it's just they think that you know box office takings will be you know not what they could be, and um, okay, I yeah, think it's purely c- commercial. But you know, when you've got uh, Cineworld you know, closing or, or laying all their people mm. off. Um, you know, you wonder whether there'll be, when they do decide to release these films at some point in the future, whether there'll be any cinemas left for, for people to go. And by the way, I actually read today that, say, the, the Eon, I think, isn't it, the company that makes these Bond films, gets something like a £1.1 billion tax break for doing it. Um, very generous. So it's not, it's not very patriotic either, is it? So, yeah, you're right, Neil. That's... Uh, James, but it's not very Bond-esque, is it? Um, and on, on that note, because I'm now very shaken and I'm quite a bit stirred as well, I think we'd better... We should... Well, I'm guessing this a piece. I think we, we'd better wrap it up there for another week. Uh, thank you very much, Rob, Neil and Arthur. Um, pod is available on the PM website and all your usual 
download sites. Uh, just search for Talking Pharmacy. Um, but for now, from all of us, thanks very much for listening. Thank you.